Today's reading is Psalm 27. We'll be reading from the New International Version. Please follow along as the text is presented on the screens above. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked advanced against me to devour me, it is my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then I will be confident. One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent and set me high upon a rock. Then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. At his sacred tent, I will sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. Hear my voice when I call. Lord, be merciful to me and answer me. My heart says of you, seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my helper. Do not reject me or forsake me, God my Savior. Though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. Teach me your way, Lord. Lead me in a straight path because of my oppressors. Do not turn me over to the desire of my foes, for false witnesses rise up against me, spouting malicious accusations. I will remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. Hello. Yeah, good to see you guys. The gist of what this short uh, sermon series is about, if I could just put it in a few words, three weeks, and, uh, but it's, it's, I think it's so important. It's all about God, because we tend to live our lives, uh, I do, and I watch others from the ground up, and we have problems in our lives, right? Anxieties, we have, we have things that we, we ask God to help us with, and that's okay, but what if we were to focus on God and work backwards from who he is, from his attribute, and some of his attributes anyway. We're going to pick up just three. And um, what if we did it that way, and instead of asking God to adjust to us, we adjust to him and see what happens, and this is exactly what we see in the person of Jesus Christ. No one does it better than him. The God-centered life instead of the, the me-centered life. And uh, the tricky part of that is that it's good for us to be God-centered. It's really, I can, I can try to make that case, and I think I will, that, that it's actually good for you to be God-centered. It will help you become a better human being and flourish in this world. But if we, if we get motivated by it, God uh, doing it for us, instead of us being about him, we become, it becomes all about us again. So it's, it's, he's the end of it all. He is the, the reason for it all. He is the source and the goal of it all. It's all about God. That's it. And this is a great theme in scripture. Okay, so if um, I can bring us down to earth just a little bit, we're going to talk about beauty today, and I want to start with uh, this guy named Steve Jobs. And if you don't know who he is, you have something probably upon your person that is all about him. (laughs) 
But there's something about Steve Jobs, and I read his biography a few years ago, the uh, Walter Isaacson biography, and that is that he was absolutely obsessed, not just with functionality of the device, but the beauty of it, and a a simplistic beauty that he was so fond of... uh, Uh, of talking about, and he actually drove other people crazy around him with his pursuit of this, delaying production at the cost of making something look just a little bit better. Now, the reason I start there is because there is something in the human person, maybe not that extreme, but we do love beauty. We're attracted to beauty. And what a theologian would tell us is that, yes, that is what a part of what a human is made in the image of God and there is no one there is no person no consciousness no being that is more beautiful than God and whatever you imagine beauty to be think of, of something that you find very beautiful God is infinitely more beautiful and this is we have to use our imaginations here we have to lift our eyes to the Lord to see his beauty Get them, get them off of ourselves. Okay, so there you go. We're going to look at Psalm 27. I'm going to use a lot of references this morning. Beyond the psalm, we're going to focus in particularly on verse 4, which talks about the beauty of the Lord. And I am going to use a movie clip. There you go. Uh, and um, we'll see how that works. Here's uh, the outline. We're going to talk about the rumble. I'll explain that in just a minute. Uh, oops. Going back to the beginning, and I'm not sure, I, I, I don't use this thing very well. Um, yeah, there we go, the rumble, somebody corrected me. Okay, the rumble, uh, which it, it will explain in a sec, and then we're going to go to the one thing I seek in verse 4, and then the hidden beauty. Okay, I want to start with verses 1 through 3. They are so beautiful. I hope that you heard them, but um, there's a question that they raise. Let me read them for you again. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? It's a rhetorical question. No one. The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evil men advance against me to devour my flesh, when my enemies and my foes attack me, then will, they will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then I will be confident. It's kind of like, you kind of sense the psalmist skipping as he writes. There's a, there's a fluidity to it, a, a joy to it, a rhythm and a pace to it. That's very joy, it's, it's wonderful. And though um, it raises a question, is, is it real? Uh, this is the, the rumble I want to get at here. And so a book that I read a long time ago by Ernest Becker, it's a, it's a wonderful book, but it's very troubling. It's called The Denial of Death. And he believes that as human beings, we basically live in the denial of death. Uh, he is not a Christian. Um, the odd thing about this book, The Denial of Death, is that he actually died a year after he wrote it. And it actually provided... <laughs> I, I know that's, that shouldn't be funny, but, <laughs> but it actually provided provided a prophetic um, force to what he wrote, and there is now an uh, Ernest Becker Society, and he has become quite famous. But it, he's a very profound thinker. Here's, here's the quote I want to get at. I think taking life seriously means that whatever you do must be done in the lived truth of the evil and terror of life, of the rumble of panic underneath everything. Otherwise, it is phony. Now, that, I, I'm into 
thinking like this because that clears out a lot of the, the pretenses of what brings peace and joy to life. You gotta, you gotta take that at face value and say, does what I believe in, is it real? Or do I just believe in these platitudes that make me feel better, including my religion? Can the God of the Bible stand up to a quote like that? It's basically, it's a good test. Or do I say things to myself, well, it's all gonna work out. Or, you know, if we just had the right people in office. Or, you know, develop the right systems. Or made the right preparations. And, you know, bad things only really happen to those people. The lies we tell ourselves to psychologically, the coping mechanisms we have to get by, that's what he's trying to destroy. The rumble of panic underneath everything. Does it, how does that work in your life? And isn't it true that the rumble of panic underneath everything is only amplified by social media and by the news media, the cycles of news that surround us? It's, it's, it's a real, it, take it seriously, folks. Or, or maybe we're at risk of being a phony Does the psalmist, so here's my question, does the psalmist live with that reality or is he too a phony because it's so positive, it's almost syrupy dripping here with positivity. But look at verse two, he does reference here, when evil men advance against me to devour my flesh. And he speaks of armies and then in verse 12, just so we know it's not just theory, he says to the Lord, do not turn over Turn me over to the desire of my foes, for false witnesses, those who are lying, rise up against me, breathing out violence. So he seems to know that whatever this he's in the midst of, whatever thing he's going to present to us as the one thing that's going to get us through the rumble, the rumble is real to him as well. I share that because it brings credibility to the psalm. And think about the rumble in your life and the lies that you might be uh, pushing down on, on your soul. Um, the things that come from culture, from, from the, uh, the spiritual forces of darkness, and from that, those inner voices that really are speaking lies to you about who you are, about who God is. So get clear on that. And then we're going to go to some... Are you ready for something better? You're supposed to be, I'm supposed to setting you up, creating this thirst and this hunger for the one thing. You ready for it? Okay, well, you know what it is. It's beauty. The one thing I seek. In verse 4, he says, The one thing I ask, the one thing I seek, the one thing I ask of the Lord, the one thing I seek is that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. It's the same as the end of Psalm 23. All the days of my life, I want to dwell in his house to gaze upon, to take in slowly, to turn over in my mind the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. Verse 4 is a very wonderful verse for us. feeds our souls. So here's, here's what, what he's saying is that I have this rumble in my life. It's true, I do. There's evil and darkness and there's things that are common to humanity, including death. It's out there. But there's something I've found that's bigger than the rumble, that's better, that's stronger, that's more powerful. And it is found in the beauty of the Lord. Uh, and there's three aspects that I want to focus on in this beauty. 
it's one of my, you may know this, but it's one of my favorite topics, this, this idea of beauty. And it, I'll, you'll see that as we, as we go through here. I love to think about it. It really does, it is really good for the soul to think about what beauty is and the beauty of the Lord. So the first one is attractiveness. The beauty, or let's just say beauty in general, it's attractive. And uh, particularly the beauty of the Lord, as we're going to focus here. Uh, Simon Vale, who is a French mystic, uh, said that there, there's two things that, that pierce us, that pierce our, our souls, that wake us up. One is aff- affliction, and the other is beauty. They, they, those are the things that interrupt your life. And then she says that uh, what affliction does is it, 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 um, it penetrates your soul in a way that is forceful upon you. And what, what beauty does is it strikes a chord in your soul in a way that draws you to that beauty. So I've used this expression before, kind of quoting her, that pain pushes us towards God and beauty pulls us towards God. It's really true. I mean, if, if we allow that to happen in a faith relationship. And um, so it's, it's attractive. And uh, the Hebrew word here for beauty is, is something that implies supreme excellence. Supreme excellence. Think of the most excellent thing. And it, it's kind of beyond that. And it leaves this sweet calmness in your soul. Kind of the, the aftertaste is a sweet calmness. And you want to be around it. You, you're attracted to it. And that's true of, of the beauty of God in an exceptional way. And it's true when we find beauty in this world. And this is where I want to go to the second part of our point about beauty. And that is that beauty, when you find it in this world, if you see with eyes of faith, you'll say something like, wow, that's so beautiful, but it points to something that I've never experienced in my soul before. Something more must be there. There must be something behind the beauty. And this is, I could quote Plato here, but I'll do better than that. I'll quote C.S. Lewis. How's that? Who, who've learned from Plato. I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy. The most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. That's, that's one of his, this is from Mere Christianity, one of his most famous, it's called The Argument from Desire. I find myself desiring things that aren't part of this world, and they're awakened when I see something that's beautiful to my soul, and he talks about these joy arrows that have got shot at him since he was a little child. And children, with their imaginations, are able to receive those joy arrows and explore the meaning of them in ways that adults have lost the capacity, which is why he wrote children's stories and had characters like Aslan, and so forth. So I want you to think about the joy arrows that have been shot your way, maybe as a child or maybe as an adult, and how they point to something beyond this world, a true beauty. And listen to this quote from another one of my favorite writers. I told you I was going to be quoting a lot here, so here you go. Dallas Willard. And this is, he, he says this as he sees the surf breaking on the California coast. It is perhaps strange to say, but suddenly I was extremely happy for God. And I thought I had some sense of what an infinitely joyous consciousness he is. And of what it might have meant for him to look at this creation and find it very good. Isn't that beautiful? You see, you see something in this world, and think about, again, think about what it might be for you, the birth of a child. I hear that one a lot. 
Well, uh, Marisa, maybe most of the time, you know, I mean, yeah, thanks for sharing your story. That was, but the birth of a child, um, music that you hear, art that you see, a mountain that you experience or a mountaintop or a star, stars in the sky at night, whatever is, is beautiful to you or you've experienced, how does that point to something beyond the beauty that you're seeing? You know, we've got our, we all have our lists. I know I have, I have mine. And then the question is, do we treasure? How do we treasure those moments in time that are interruptions to whatever else is there as God? You know, those, this, it strikes a chord in our soul and it opens us up to something beyond. The permanent is the third thing. So beauty is attractive to us and it points to something beyond, but permanence. We need to talk about permanence. True beauty, the essence of beauty, is permanent. And what is it that we experience in this world when we see something beautiful? When we're attracted to something that it could be a person. Uh, I'm going to show a movie clip here in a second that will relate to that. But it could be anything. And sometimes we forget the, the rumble of panic underneath everything. Is, and part of that rumble of panic underneath everything is everything is falling apart. Or in the words of the scientists, the second law of thermodynamics, entropy. What's that? It happens. Yes, everything falls apart and it happens. Entropy happens. And we're all falling apart. And if you're over 30 years old and you've taken a shower lately, you know that. How's that? <laughs> Everything's falling apart. But, you know, it's... So let me get to the, the, the movie clip here. Uh, it's from the movie Notting Hill, right? You've seen it, maybe? 20 years old now. I didn't know it was that old. It's 20 years old. So Julia Roberts is, she's really kind of playing herself. She's the most beautiful woman in the world and she's the most famous actress in the world in the movie. And she comes to London and she meets a bookshop owner named Hugh Grant. Well, I don't know, what, I can't remember his name in the movie, but it's Hugh Grant. And they sort of, you know, it's a romantic comedy. But there's a tr- just a beautiful scene in this movie. It has to do with a brownie. Anybody remember the brownie scene in this? I don't know if this is... Okay, so to get the brownie, it, it's, it's um, people at a table, and they've all had hard lives. All of them have... And, and to, but to get the brownie, you have to have like a hard life, a really hard life, or you don't qualify to get the brownie. And of everyone who's sitting at the table, she's the obvious one that doesn't qualify. Right? I mean, she's the most famous, most beautiful woman in the world. It's like, who wouldn't want that? And, but she tries to make the case, this is the part we're going to watch here, that she does, in fact, deserve... Well, at least I get the last brownie, right? Oh, I, think, yeah, I think you get it. Well, wait, what about me? I'm sorry. You think you deserve the brownie? <laughs> Well, a shot at it, at least, huh? All right, well, you'll have to prove it. I mean, this is a very, very good brownie. I'm going to fight for it. I've been on a diet every day since I was 19, which basically means I've been hungry for a decade. Um, (laughs) I've had a series of not-nice boyfriends, one of whom hit me. 
And every time I get my heart broken, the newspapers splash it about as though it's entertainment. <laughs> and it's taken two rather painful uh, operations to get me looking like this. Really? Mm. Really. Mm. <laughs> and one day, not long from now, my looks will go. They will discover I can't act. And I will become some sad middle-aged woman who looks a bit like someone who was famous for a while. No, nice try, gorgeous. Be here for Pathetic effort to hog the brown. What do you think? Should she get the brownie or not? You know? But what, what's, uh, if she were to watch this today, I think the words that would haunt her are, I will, someday I will be a sad middle-aged woman who's lost her look. Well, she doesn't, I looked online, she doesn't look too bad right now, but she's in her 50s, you know. She is that person. And you wonder how those words wear with her soul now. But So beauty, as we see it in this world, is not permanent. That's the point here. So let me, um, f- for you, First Peter. This, he, for, actually, Peter is quoting Isaiah from 800 years earlier, roughly. All people are like grass. All their days is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall or they fade away. But the word of the Lord endures forever. So the point is that real beauty, true beauty, the beauty behind the beauty that we see in this world is permanent and everything else fades away. And it's, it's really hard to take that in as we walk through this life. We forget that truth. Okay, the, so let's get to the hidden beauty and we'll close here. What is the hidden beauty? If beauty is um, attractive to us and if, if it points to something beyond and if uh, the, what's pointed beyond to is permanent, that's... That works for a lot of things, but there's this hidden beauty that um, scriptures speak of. There's another kind of beauty that can only be seen by eyes of faith and really by the Holy Spirit's work in your life to get you to see through those eyes of faith. So it's it's a spiritually discerned beauty that is hidden. Uh, Augustine, who is called Saint Augustine, who wrote his confessions in the uh, fifth century, so long time ago, but he has this famous quote, and he's speaking to God here. It's a, it's a wonderful quote. Late have I loved you, O beauty ever ancient, ever new. Late have I loved you. You see, earlier in his life, he had spent a lot of time loving things, particularly women, who, uh, whose beauty was not permanent in the way we've been talking about. And, and he discovered this beauty in the Lord that changed his life. And he did that through faith. And he tells that story of how the Holy Spirit opened his eyes. So I want to go a little deeper there into this psalm. Uh, the one thing that he asks for, that the one thing that he seeks is the beauty of the Lord, but it's, where is it to be found most intensively, the beauty of the Lord in the, in the writer, in David's uh, world, is found in the temple, the house of the Lord. And uh, scholars will say he wasn't really talking about spending all the days of his life in the temple, but it's what the temple represented, the presence of the Lord. 
He longed for the presence of the Lord, no matter where he was. Now, the presence of the Lord becomes uh, uh, manifested, taking the Scripture as a whole, uh, manifested most intensively a thousand years after David in the person of Jesus Christ, the son of David, becomes the new temple. He's the living temple. He calls himself, he says, this temple. And he says, he's looking at the the stone temple and he says, that temple is going to go away. This is the real temple, basically, is what he says. So we find this this presence of God intensively in the person of Jesus Christ. And then then Paul picks it up in in, um, his letter to the Corinthians and he says that the place where we see the glory of God or the beauty of God most intensively expressed is in the cross. We're Christ. Now, so I want you to think about your images of beauty. And I'm telling you folks, the Im- whatever images you have, I've been trying to cultivate that, is, is probably not of a man dying with the way, you know, on a, on a first century torture device, basically. That's not what we think of as beauty. So it's a hidden beauty that Christ shows, or the Holy Spirit shows us regarding Christ. I want to read to you from Isaiah, uh, just one verse from Isaiah 52. That speak it's, it's prophetic. It was written before Christ, but it speaks of what people saw when they looked on the cross. Just as there were many who were appalled at him, his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any man, and his form marred beyond human likeness. Now, how can that be beautiful? I mean, we really need to wrestle with this one. Uh, We don't want to have uh, phony, cheap answers. How can that be beautiful? And it's really quite quite simple, but it's when the Holy Spirit, when, when you gaze upon the beauty of the Lord in the shape of the cross, and you're able to see beauty instead of horror, that's truly a work of the Holy Spirit, because no one would come there naturally. Nobody would come there naturally. So here's what it is. Remember that when he died on the cross, I'll just illustrate with the the thief, there was one on the left and one on the right. There were three crosses that day that were outside of Jerusalem, Calvary. And one of the thieves says, Jesus, remember me when you come in your kingdom. And what does Jesus say to that thief who is dying alongside him? Today you will be with me where? In paradise would be the most beautiful place you could imagine. So Jesus puts that out to him. It's a wonderful promise that you're going to understand beauty in a way that you have never understood it before. And boy, he didn't need to say it, but boy, is this an ugly place where we are right now. We're going to, so here, but here's what, here's what's so beautiful about it. And this is the key. This is that kind of Holy Spirit moment that I, I would hope that every one of us would have is that he became ugly. He really did become ugly so that we, so that you could become beautiful. And that, that right there is the beauty of the Lord. He became ugly so that you could look really, really wonderful. And that is his beauty. Who would love like that? That is the most beautiful thing. That is so far beyond whatever we call beauty. Holy Spirit, come and reveal that truth to us in a more deep, a deeper way. Show us where we have settled for false beauty or for um, 
something that isn't true and real. I want to ask each of us now, have your eyes been open to the ugliness that brings you beauty that is so beautiful? It's all about God. It's all about God, whose hands and feet, the hands and feet of Jesus Christ are permanently scarred as reminders of his love and his beauty that he became ugly for us so that we might become beautiful. Grab onto that beauty, I encourage you, and may the Holy Spirit open your eyes to it that you would just desire nothing more in this life. Let Jesus Christ, the beauty of Christ, captivate your heart in a way that you live for him now and forever. Amen.